This podcast discusses difficult topics that may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are not doctors or therapists. None of our content should be construed as medical advice, nor as a substitute for professional help. Names and other specific identifying details are often changed for the privacy and protection of our guests. Our guests' experiences are shared as they experienced them. Opinions may not reflect the opinions of Beck and Ella or this podcast. There will also be adult language used. Lots of it. Listener discretion strongly advised. Hello and welcome back to Narcissist Gaslighters and Cheaters. Oh my. I am your host, Beck. And I am your other host, Ella. How you doing, Ella? I'm doing pretty good. Good. We are back this week. We have noticed and we've got some messages from people talking about our sound issues in the last few episodes, and we are trying to figure that out. So I apologize if you hear some weirdness happening with our voices. We are working on that, and hopefully it'll be resolved soon. Um, Hopefully it's resolved already, but if you do hear some weirdness, we apologize for that, and uh, we are well aware of the problem and working diligently to correct it. <laughs> we can confidently say that we do not have a lisp in real life. <laughs> right? Not that there's anything wrong with having one, but we do not in real life. Nothing, but we don't. <laughs> Thank you for hanging in there with that. And again, we apologize for any sound issues that you may experience. So we are here this week with Jenna. Hi, Jenna. Hi. How are you guys? We're good. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. We really appreciate it. And we're thank you for having me. Yeah. We're very excited to hear your story. So tell us a little bit about yourself. My life story is extremely unique, bizarre, and unbelievable to the point that I'm grateful that at every stage of my life, there's witnesses, right? Because I wouldn't believe me. Mm-hmm. Like if I sat down and said, tell me your story and someone told me my life back, I'd be like, girl or boy or they, them, what are you talking about? You know, or you have that one person, that one friend who always one ups you and you know, they're full of shit, but sadly I'm not. <laughs> so, but I'm that one friend that can always up you. So I make sure not to. You know, so I, I constantly go and keep into the ADHD of myself that just wants to blurt out every, you know, <laughs> right TMI bit of information. Yeah, I, I have to sit there. I'm like, oh, this is killing me, but I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you shine in your trauma. You know? And we'll save my trauma for another day. It's not a competition. Well, now you get to share it on a podcast. And this is, this is my first podcast Yay. that I've ever done. Well, thank you for trusting us with your story. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Southern California. My parents moved there from Dubuque, East Dubuque, Illinois. So just a hole in the wall place in Illinois. And we end up in California. And if I get emotional, I'm going to try not to. I don't know because I haven't said a lot of this out loud too much. So since then, um, I used, I was on the, from 2006 to 2011, I was on the news a lot here in Tennessee. They did weak stories on me. So I'm used to talking about that trauma. I'm not used to talking about the husband trauma. Um, so, but they both, co- they ended up colliding. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, uh, and one often begets the other right you know when you exactly when trauma is normalized when you're young that's what you almost seek out or don't shy away from because that's what feels normal 
to you. They they actually absolutely have one has to do with the other. But I I seeked out my husband because he was so kind. Mm. I was actually trying to do the complete opposite. I had done all of that. And I was now older and wiser and all those things. But I, you know, <laughs> but my childhood, I don't mind giving my real name, which is Jennifer Meyer Beta, but I was raised in a cult. <laughs> wow. And when I was um, three, my parents moved to Southern California and they were looking for a church. And there was one right down the street from where we landed in Southern California. And my life was forever altered. And so the best way to describe this cult is to take Scientology, Mormonism, Pentecostal, Jehovah's Witness, and merge them. Mm. Oh boy. Because that's what the leader of our cult did, the founder of the cult. He went out and found, uh, he went and just grabbed pieces from every religion, the most degrading ones to women, you know, the ones that gave men the most power and control he took from each religion. And then uh, he said, his name is William Souders, and he, he was big back in the day. So he was like 100 and, yeah, this was like 110 years ago, 120 years ago, something like that was when it was founded. And so they spread out. It's actually a huge cult that nobody knows about. And it's underground and it all has the name gospel in it, right? So like ours was Christian Gospel Temple or the one in Shepherdsville is Gospel Kingdom. Like it's something like that. And the headquarters are actually in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Okay. And we were not allowed to associate with anyone outside of our group. But our group is in every state and some have several. Like Texas has 13 just within their group. Or they did. I don't know now. And so they spread them out all over but ours was the furthest away from everyone so we used to drive twice a year in the church bus and go to shepherdsville kentucky because everybody would have meetings they'd have fellowship meetings you know like and so you were going to every state everybody was coming to you and so we were allowed to interact within that group so we could marry within the group we could do all that because we were basically the same Anyways, but we couldn't with anybody outside. But gotcha. They joined when I was three, but then my dad left when I was four. I actually set my dad up with the woman he left my mom for when I was four years old. So did he leave because of the because of disagreeing with the cults or just because he No, no. He left because he found a hot piece of ass. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> I went I went to work with him at a gas station, and I'm as you can see talkative and very friendly and this woman was just so sweet and so kind and i i just because back you know this is a long time ago i'm 47 so me just standing out at the gas pump at four it was normal like that you know my dad could see me through a window you're good and i thought she was so nice that i went in and got my dad <laughs> and i'm like dad you've got to meet this girl this woman and whatever and he did and i was right <laughs> she was very nice <laughs> very very nice and honestly i can't even say i blame him my mother was so awful i don't i i would i would have ran away from her too 
I, I probably would have gone after the cute college student. He wasn't that much older than her. You know, he was like 27. So, you know, but that's how, that's how my dad exited our lives was me. So it was like, that took a little while. That's not your fault at all. No. Well, it was really odd the first time he came to pick us up. And he's like, I got a surprise for you. And we go to a college dorm. And I'm just like, oh, we're flirting. And there's, there she is when they open the door. And I was so excited to see her. Like, I had no clue. My poor mom. My poor mom. Because I loved her. So I would just go home and just rave. You know, <laughs> like... So, but so he, he pretty much vanished at that point. And he, he, I mean, he rarely ever came to the services, but that only, he would, they were only together maybe seven or eight months once we moved to California. Okay. And I, something like that. So she's now a single mom with no job and two kids. And even back then, California was expensive in comparison, right? So she, a cult was perfect for her because she did not have to do anything. The, the rules were already made. My friends were already picked out. Everything, I, I'll be at church on this day, this day, this day, this day, which was Sundays all day. We had about a three-hour break in between. And what I mean all day, we were there anywhere from three and a half to four and a half hours, sometimes longer. We, so then we were there all day Sunday. We were there on Tuesday for prayer and junior band practices. We were there on Wednesday nights at 7.30 up to four hours, even though we all had school the next morning. And then we were there on Thursdays to clean. And then on Fridays, we had service all night on Fridays. So really, we had Monday and Saturday that wasn't controlled. So that was really good, easy for her mm -hmm. sure. because she had to work. No one else in the cult, we were the only divorced family. We were the only non-generational family because, because it's so nutty. You have to be born into that right? for it not to be insane or you have to be traumatized and in vulnerable need, mm -hmm, right? Because she didn't know it was a cult. I'll give her that. You know, she just thought it was a church. Mm -hmm. And then it was easy. And so if she, you know, she had to work three jobs. And I'll, I'll never, like, mad respect. But from the time I was seven, I was alone, me and my sister. She worked the graveyard shift. She worked, you know, three jobs. So we had very different, it was very strange because... We had very similar lives to everyone else in our cult, but very different lives once we left and the, the building or the people. So our home life was so different from anyone else's. No one was divorced. You know, all the moms stayed home. I was the only, my mom was the only working mom. Right. So then when we were uh, third grade, they all decided we should all be homeschooled. So they pulled us all out. Again, my mom worked three jobs. How do you homeschool your kids when you're when you're working three jobs? Right, you can't. Mm -mm. So you hand your kids the packets and the answer key, mm -hmm. and you say, "I'm gonna just." <laughs> education didn't really matter, anyways, because I was just gonna get married and have babies. Right, right. So what difference did it make? You know, but legally here we got to do this much. So. I would like to take my whole essence of my life of being a total soap opera 
can connect right to this because at eight years old, I was raised by the young and the restless days of our lives, another world, Santa Barbara, <laughs> you know, like, right. Um, and before, and then, but before those shows came on, I would watch Mr. Rogers, Sesame Street, The Electric Company, and then Young and the Restless. So my exposure to things was very different than anyone else's in that cult. So it, it was intense. And so everything about us was controlled. And I can't be controlled. And it, it is just in me. It's my DNA. Uh, my ability to not point out when people are wrong is completely out of my control. It really, truly is. Right. You know, I've been told, like I said, you know, how brave I am or how strong I am with this. I'm like, you guys don't understand. It's harder for me to keep quiet than it is for me to say that's fucked up. And I've been that way my entire life. So that doesn't go well in a cult because I'm logical. Mm -hmm. So anybody could speak in there. There was no, you know, if the spirit moved you, you could get up and they'd bring you a microphone and they started training you from the time you could hold a microphone and talk. And so you would just get up and say, I love Jesus. Right. And then sit down and everybody would be like, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, that's how you know, and build you up. Mm -hmm. They would make you sing the same song for hours. These same most boring ass the lord like you know you're just like mm -hmm. my god what and you're like where is the remix <laughs> and now i understand you know brainwashing they're brainwashing us you know through it all right but it didn't take with me and so i don't know why they continue to ever give me a microphone at seven they should have been like oh no we gotta stop She's saying stuff, you know, because all the other kids would get up and be like, oh, I love Jesus. Praise the Lord. Ah. I would get up and I would say, I love Jesus. I, but I don't understand why it's a sin to wear pants. <laughs> right. Let's talk about this other thing. Mm -hmm. From the, I mean, I, that one, I was seven when I got up and said, I don't understand the pant thing because it's not in the Bible. Mm -hmm. That's where religion lost me, too, because I was raised in the church. And my mom, um, my mom has chilled out over the years, but she's still like a super Jesus crispy. But when we were younger, it was like very, very strict. Like we didn't have MTV or like, you know, any of the other things that like couldn't listen to the radio. I mean, there was, it was very, very strict. Yeah, same. Did you sneak it? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just got to make sure. Especially like at friends' houses and stuff, I would for sure. But I would ask questions and she wouldn't have the answer. And so like, even from being like five years old, you know, the answer would be, we just don't understand God's... God's will. Right. And I would ask things like, well, why would God flood the whole earth? and kill everyone like isn't that murder and like isn't murder and she'd be like well that we don't understand everything you know god has but we will we will and that was not sufficient for me mm -hmm. even as a child like it, yeah. it was insufficient yeah i never connected with it because it would never make sense well when we all said we're all adhd that makes sense because 
our brains are wired for logic. Yeah. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron with everything else that goes on with being ADHD. But for the most part, most of us can be really critical thinkers. One plus one has to equal two. I can live in a gray area, but that gray area still has to make sense. Right. Mm -hmm. Like why it's the gray area. So you can't tell me it's your interpretation of the scripture. And then maybe like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. My mom is severely ADHD, but her connection to religion is all from trauma, from mm -hmm. not having a father. She replaced that piece with God. And it's so it's black and white for her. Like she will not even entertain that. Like people have different belief systems and all belief systems are valid. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way for you to know that yours is correct. That's just what you believe, like does not compute. Right. Because of the ADHD, like this has to be black and white for me. So like this has to be the only real religion. Yeah. And everyone else who thinks differently, their feelings are invalid. She's very kind and loving and accepting of other people, but she still thinks they're wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. She still thinks I'm going to hell, even though she loves me very much. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It The constant... Oh, God gave us the interpretation and, you know, that's why, or, um, you know, the, uh, everyone, we're the only ones. And after I got out of that and the thinking of it, I'm like, how arrogant mm -hmm. of anyone to think they know the truth. I don't like, that's why I'm agnostic because I haven't died. Right. And I don't, and if you died and came back, I still don't trust you because you came back. Right. The only time I'll know is when we die. Which is very convenient if you are a fraudster con artist. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like such a great con. Yep. Mm -hmm. it, yep. Exactly. And so in in our world, it was just easier for her, my mother. I don't want to use her real name, but calling her my mother, it's like sticking a knife in me every time I'm saying mother because I don't call her that. Let's call her Karen. Okay. That's like, I mean, all right. Let's call her Karen. <laughs> but it made life easier for Karen, you know? And I, I get that. Like, I don't fault her for that part of it. She did not know that she was throwing us into a cult. Sure. At the time. Like, she didn't, you know? Cults, we didn't even know 44 years ago about cults. Like, not like we do now, you know? So, right, right. Pre internet. I, get that. I, I understand that. Yeah. And, um, and pre Waco. Right. So it's like, it, it, none of that had come, you know, out yet. And so they did not, it, there was no, um, further education outside of high school. But like I said, we were all homeschooled. So it was a joke. I did get put back into public school in the fifth grade, but then pulled out after the sixth grade because I was told I was becoming too worldly and they needed to be able to control me. Right. So what that did was that freed me up because again, my mom worked three jobs. So that freed me up to do whatever the fuck I wanted to do. That didn't actually protect me from anything. What could possibly go wrong? Right? <laughs> you got to watch your daytime stories. Yes. And then, <laughs> uh, then lit them, which I did. And so from the time I was nine, 
I would, there was a bus stop by our house. We moved a lot, but there were bus stops everywhere. But this one was right on the corner. And I would hop on that bus when she would leave. And I would go to the mall, which was about a 30 minute trip down to Montclair Plaza. I'd go to see all the movies. I would go do, and they didn't, I'm, I'm, I was tall, but I was still nine. A ticket for Born on the Fourth of July, please. Because <laughs> I remember every movie I saw back then and seeing Tom Cruise's penis stuck out a lot, you know? And I was like, oh my God. The penis didn't, but the memory does. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was traumatizing. It was more like, oh, right. That was like my first penis. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, how many people can say their first penis was Tom Cruise? Like, that's impressive. So it opened my world to a whole lot of things. You know, I was exposed to a whole lot of things. I was also sexually assaulted. And I'm just going to throw that in there because it, it, it was happened in the cult. And so if anybody looks it up. So at 15, freeing me up at sixth grade to not get into any trouble meant my best friend's older brother, who was 23. I was 13. This isn't the use I was actually initially talking about. It freed him up to become real close with me because I was always over at my friend, my best friend Katie's house because she was homeschooled too because we were all in the cult. Right. Um, and he had just gotten divorced and moved back. So he moved in with his parents. So nobody thought anything of it. They were just, I was there with my best friend Katie. And so that relationship started and then went on for years. And then when I was 15, my mother found out that he and I had been having sex and I that is the worst thing I could have done was have sex. Well, you weren't having sex. You were being assaulted by an adult. It's this, but in her mind, right? right? In her mind. That's where I was going from. Karen right. was like, not one time did anyone go, you know, he's a divorced adult and she's a child. Like no one. No, no one. No, and no, but no one saw me as a child. No one saw me as a child, not even my mom, because I did act older. I had a whole different world than everyone else. So I could have a conversation with a 23-year-old and a 23-year-old who isn't the brightest and be able to relate with each other. And so our rule was we couldn't date till we were 16. But once I turned 16, it would have been fine. So to me, it was like, what's a couple of years? If once I'm 16, I can date him, why not now? And so um, at 15, um, Karen found a letter that I had written. It was actually on my 15th birthday that said, you fucked her, you fucked me, you fucking asshole. So that's how Karen discovered I lost my virginity. And that set forth just a domino. Because in the Bible, it says you're better to wed than burn. So 15, first she shipped me off to my dad, who I barely knew. So she stuck me on a plane, I mean, on a train in Southern California. And I had to make all these stops all over the country, getting to Illinois all by myself. And I, which was fine, because again, bus at night. I stayed there for a few months, came back. She'd gone back to her abusive husband who had abused me, who had also been the roommate, because he was 10 years younger than my mom. And mine was 10 years older than me. And they actually had been roommates. <laughs> wow. So at 15, um, I had to get married. Oh, wow. Because I was having sex or I had sex. And the Bible says 
I'm going to burn because I'm having sex. So it was like, well, she's going to end up knocked up was what they were, you know, saying. It wasn't, oh, let's prevent this man right. yeah. from assaulting this child. It was, oh, my God, she's going to end up pregnant. Oh, my God, this. Oh, my God, that. All right, you're getting married. So Karen didn't speak to me the entire hour drive home because I was over at my best friend's house. And then the first thing she said to me is, oh, my God, you're a slut. Oh, the slut shaming. Mm -mm. Yeah, but my response was, I've had sex with one person. I know you've had sex with at least two. My dad and the man you're married to now. Ooh, burn. I'm a slut <laughs> for having slept with one man. What are you? <laughs> you're twice as much of a slut. Right. Like, it's a 100% increase from my slutaciousness. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On a percentage basis. <laughs> so I got married. They, we went to Vegas. I can't even imagine what anybody was thinking, but this will tell you how crazy it was back then. So we go, we just show up in Vegas. We go to an attorney and we say, hey, we want to get married today. And the attorney goes, okay, are you pregnant? Because he's like, no judge, because they were going to have to go in front of a judge. Karen was there. So it was me, Karen, and, and um, Jonathan. We're sitting there and they're like, okay, are you pregnant? I'm like, no. And he's like, no judge is going to sign off on a 15-year-old marrying a 25-year-old unless she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to ask you again, are you pregnant? Mm -hmm. And I went, of course I am. So he then went to the judge that day. Like, it's so crazy how fast the whole thing went and how they could do it. You know, and that was 1991. And so um, they, he went in front of a judge. I didn't even have to go in front of the judge. The judge never saw me, my, my husband, my, mo my mother, Karen, nothing. Wow. The lawyer just went, said she's pregnant. Can we emancipate her? They emancipated me, which I wish I had understood what that meant because there was that window from emancipation to married. Right. And if I if I'd known I'm legally an adult now, none of you have control over me for three hours or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It could have been a very different situation, right? Right. So, but it wasn't. So I married my second abuser. So, Jonathan, if you ever hear this, you're a disgusting human being. I, you're bad, and I hope you feel bad. He doesn't feel bad. Yes. just want to throw that in there. You're disgusting, Jonathan. He is disgusting. He doesn't feel bad, but his life is miserable. And I know this because we have a son together. Mm -hmm. Fun. So, and it's still fine that you said all that stuff about him. My son's very aware of, and it disgusts him. He, he knows what was up, you know. Right. Kids will always know. Yeah. That's my second PSA for shitty fathers out there. Always. Your children will know. Mm. Someday they will know, no matter how much you try to brainwash them or what you tell them when they were little, there will come a day where they know. And it will, I will say this though, it takes a while because they take it, they take out whatever they're going through on the person they trust the most. Right. For sure. You know, there's a lot of dumping. Uh, but eventually they'll get to that place. And my son's 31. You know, he, he he's there. <laughs> I'm like, I told him, I'm like, the older you get, the closer in age we're becoming. <laughs> That's just so weird. Because right. he, yeah. he looks like he could be my boyfriend. He's this big burly man with this beard, you know, all. And I, yeah, it's hilarious when we go out together. 
People are so confused by it. Well, you're a baby when you had him. Yeah. I actually did it. I sent him a thing today and it had a picture of us next to each other, a current picture of both of us. And I'm like, when babies have babies. It's what happened. <laughs> and luckily, my son's gay because he would have made me a grandma, right? At like, you know, 29. Right. I was like, people are like, was that hard for you? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I would have been a grandma. There's <laughs> no way. My son, mm -mm, no, 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 no. <laughs> but um, so there, you know, there was a lot of trauma growing up. There was a lot, there were several marriages pushed on me because of rules and because of how they are so i don't it's really hard like if someone asked me how many times i've been married because which i'm not going to say but i don't feel like i should have to own some you don't mm -hmm. that wasn't your decision right so i'm like the the ones i i was like okay two you know i've been married twice and so what ended up happening is in 2006 i left the cult me and my boyfriend at the time who was a member of the cult his whole life so you were how old and i was in it till i was 30. okay wow so from three to 30. yeah i left when i was right at the end of 29 about to be 30. good for you they actually i guess this is probably a huge part in 90 the leader got up and told us all we were moving to White House, Tennessee. Ooh. We we were in Southern California, and we were moving to White House, Tennessee because he wanted to be closer to Shepherdsville because that's where the headquarters are. And he was in line to take it over and basically be the pope of this one because he was our leader was really high up on the chain gotcha. after the souders all died he was right there because he was ordained by william souders at 23 um, and so he moved all of us and there was about close to 500 of us wow and there these pe the people that moved make it clear they were very intelligent they either worked for nbc or they were in real estate. On my face, you see me with, like, you know, we weren't allowed to watch soap operas, but we could work on soap operas. So, like, it was just such a strange, such a strange environment. So there were people in it that were pretty, you know, higher up at the NBC levels that were part of it, that are still part of it. Wow. You know, it, it's crazy. So they, they, these weren't, now their parents were ignorant to different things, but, you know, these were very accomplished people. We had a very wealthy church. We were the only poor ones, like literally the only poor ones. That's another dynamic that has to be a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I didn't care. That stuff never bothered. I don't mean that being poor. I mean the different, being the only one that's having that experience when everyone around, like literally everyone around you because you're so insulated is mm -hmm. living a completely different experience. Yes, but at the time I didn't think about that. Okay. Like I did think about the fact that I was allowed because, well, not allowed, but I did a lot of things that they weren't allowed to do because I was sneaking doing them, you know? And so, like, things like that. I noticed my sister had a different experience. I was just kind of a, all right, this is what we've got. Let's go. Let's do it, you know? And my sister was the one who's in the corner crying, shaking. Gotcha. So I do get why I've been called strong my whole life. Because I was the one who slept with a fireplace poker. We lived in Chino Hills by the prison. So by, and Chino prison is a um, 
a high security. It's like one of the worst ones in California. Um, and we used to go to the prison and play in the grounds and yell at the prisoners <laughs> because that wasn't on the list of things we couldn't do. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, no one said you can't ride your bike to the prison and taunt the prisoners. But no one. <laughs> So that's what we did for fun. And, um, you know, like things like that. It was just a very strange kind of, you know, I did know we had very different lives, but I actually liked that. Right. Because I knew, I knew the rules were absurd. I always knew they were. Um, and that's the leader knew I knew. It, it, I can't explain it. He knew from from the moment we had, well, probably when I stood up and said, I don't understand. Right pants aren't a sin and i'm sure he just went shit we got one right she's one of them we got a smarty pants <laughs> literally a smarty pants <laughs> i can't even tell you how i mean i would say at least a hundred like throughout my life it would probably he would stop the service and you know five people and while he's preaching for two hours um to tell me to shut up <laughs> so he'd be like sister jennifer you are a distraction and a disruption to this service. And, I, and I'm like, spend four hours. <laughs> we know about revelations. And I don't know what to tell you. I heard that a gazillion times, you know? And so I'm like, I could preach it. And revelations is the worst to sit through. <laughs> the worst. The worst. We covered it the most. And so, yeah, they didn't like me. And then in 2006... A lot of stuff happened. They moved us here. We did make the front page of the Tennessean. Holt moves to Tennessee. It was at the exact same time as the Waco thing that happened. Oh, wow. Like, that was literally going on when we moved. They were still in their standoff as we were moving. I was just thinking, that wasn't that about the time yeah. of Waco? I was just thinking that. Yeah. So you're going to have people panic. You're going to have lots of pearl clutching. Right. And we looked like... We, we all long jean skirts, no makeup, hair, like we're clearly a cult, you know, that I didn't know we were, but we clearly were one. I mean, someone says, hey, move. Everyone quits their jobs, sells their homes. They get 10% of all the homes that just got sold, you know, and then everyone moves here. They have millions of dollars while everyone else is struggling because no one had jobs here lined up. No one had, like, it was insane. It was insane. Turns out he had dementia mm. when he made this decision that we were going to fall off into the ocean and die by the sword. Mm -hmm. so that's what he told us um, from an earthquake. And he had dementia. His family knew he had dementia. And so it, it was just such a clusterfuck. So then we get here, you know, and then that was just insane. And then we, we, they did, you know, they mingled in with White House, but we stood out like a sore thumb. So everyone knew who we were. Yeah, I, I was there till I was 29, but I didn't do their rules. You know, like I, I wore my, I've always been rebellious. Like I was, I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I didn't sneak out at night and go, you know. You wore pants. <laughs> my mom would talk about me like i had done these horrific things and be like oh my god i'm like i know she wore levi's it's just like she did what like you know or like i'd roll my skirt up so my knees could show but i'd have this bulge 
it's just rolled up fabric in my stomach, you know, <laughs> it's just rolled. But I'm like, my knees are, because it's like, there's got to be something about my knees <laughs> that they just don't want the world to see, right? Our knees and our elbows. What, what is it about our knees and our elbows? They're the least sexy. They're not uh, attractive like, <laughs> at all. It's like, you know, I'm going to turn you on. Sexy oh. Come on, girl, let me see that elbow. Yeah. <laughs> Mm, give me some of them knees. Yeah. I can't look. I'm in long sleeves. You guys, I'm still, I haven't passed it yet. I'm still stuck there. So, yeah, there was a lot of trauma. And then at 29, I'm sitting there and I believed their doctrine because I've now listened to it for, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours and seen about it for, you know, thousands of hours. So, I believed their doctrine, but I didn't believe they had love. So I wrote a big, long letter to the church, told them what was all wrong with them. And then uh, I was just sitting there one day and I'm like, I f every time I leave this building, I feel worse. Every fucking time. What am I doing? And I knew I would lose. So I knew I would lose everyone, right? So, but I never stopped to really think about what that would look like. Right. You know, because I was in um hyper focus mm -hmm. thank you adhd for allowing me to just focus on what needed to be done and what needed to be done was they needed to be stopped and for whatever fucking reason i was the one who was gonna have to do it and i did i then me and my ex i mean and he was my best friend and i this i resent the fuck out of the church for more than anything because i lost him because of it we left. We took his kid. He, he had custody of his kids since he was 21 years old. His wife dropped, left and dropped him off the door and went, I can't do this. And so he'd been my next door neighbor my entire life. Every time I moved, he somehow moved and was next door. Every time he moved, all the way here to even in Tennessee. And it was never planned. It just somehow always happened with our parents and then with us as adults. And we were best friends. And then we fell in love. And we both were like, this is crazy. What are we doing here? And so we left. And his parents were the head of the Hispanic ministry. Um, and so they came after us. And they got his wife and to file for custody. Because they did truly believe that their grandchildren's souls were in danger. Right. They, you know, I will give them that. They did believe what they were doing. And what they ended up doing, though, was destroying their cult because I, I told them, I, read, I wrote another letter and I was like, I just want you all to know if you do this, because they would have never gone after us for custody of the kids without permission from the cult, from the leader. Right. Because you, you, you could not have a birthday party. Like literally you could not have a birthday party without his permission. It, they had to have gotten his permission. So I wrote a letter to all of them you know, and send it to everybody. I'm like, I just want you to know, if you don't leave us the fuck alone, I am going to bring it all down on you. I will expose every single thing you ever did to any of us. Good for you. There, a bunch of us were sexually abused, mm -hmm. right? So not even, I don't even mean me them marrying me off at 15. You know, my, my first time I was sexually abused, I was seven. So, and not by him, you know, um, and I told. 
I, you know, one day I'm sitting in school and they used to come in and educate kids. They don't anymore, but they used to. And this police officer started talking and I'm like sitting there going, oh, that's what happened to. So I go home and I tell because they told me tell. Right. So I told. Yeah. And then they came back and told me that they talked to the father and the father said that his mother, because he was 18 at the time, that his mother was not in good health and that this would kill her if she found out. So they, they, they did tell Karen it was her choice if she wanted to go to the police or let them handle it. So what that meant was, you're gonna let us handle it. Right. Like there's no, you can go to the police or you can let me. And it was just ridiculous. And, it, and we were taught we couldn't sue each other. Because in the Bible, it says you can't take your brethren to court. Right. Oh. So they use that, you know, for everything. So it wasn't a, oh, you really can. It was a, you're not going to. She was, she was glad. Like, she, it, it made less work for her. Right. right. So it was easy for her to just not de be like, oh, okay. So they came to me and told me I wasn't allowed to ever tell anyone because his mother couldn't handle it. So there I was having to protect my abuser's mom like it was insanity and then my my one of my closest friends sister older sister started dating him and i was like and at that point you know i was like 10 or 11 i'd gotten a little bit older and i'm like i don't give a fuck hey just so you know he's a child molester and i'm not the only one you know and uh she didn't care because he was hot and we didn't have hot guys in our cult. So she, you know, it didn't matter, but I said it, right? You know, it was like, and in that moment, it's like, yeah, fuck you. You don't get to tell me what I, what I can say when it comes to what's been done and happened to me. Right. I then told the cult I was going to sue them if they, and it exposed them to the world, if they didn't just leave us the fuck alone. Because I just wanted to go away. I just wanted to be able to go live my life with our kids in peace. But that, that just wasn't going to happen. Um, so we sent them that letter. And then they had this big meeting at the church. And they made the biggest mistake they ever made. Um, the leader's wife got up and she, was, she said, it's just Jennifer. Give her six months. She'll get bored. She'll move on to something else. Mm -hmm. That was their biggest mistake because I mean every time I wanted to give up I just remember her Becky standing there in front of all those hundreds of people saying oh it's just Jennifer and so I'm like yeah it's just Jennifer let's do this right I don't know how but I got hooked up with the people who exposed the Catholic Church who won the $600 million settlement against the Catholic Church. Nice. And ended up working for them, taking on their non-denominational cases, working. So all of a sudden, I'm all over the news. I'm doing press conferences. I'm exposing our cult. I then write a paper on our cult. Someone happened to Google one of the, I outed everyone. I named them all. Did you end everything with just Jennifer signing off? 
I would have edited everything. Like, I would have done like a Taylor Swift with Taylor's version. Yeah. It would have been like, yeah, just Jennifer on everything that I, everything I wrote, everything I signed. Just Jennifer. Just Jennifer. Just him. That would have been beautiful. I wish I would have done that, actually. Mine was more like, you, right? To do it. Dude, dude, it's okay. Because, like, it was liberating. And, like, the first time I told my mother, fuck you. I bet. Yeah. All of, all of my kids in the, because we were on the phone and it was during all of this, you know, the court case and all that. And I was just like, fuck you. And everyone was like, you know, even me inside, I was shocked. Like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I just said it's you to my mom, you know, but I meant it. Just Jennifer saying, fuck off. Just Jennifer. And so we, it was a long six year. We went back and forth, courts, family courts, because they sued us for custody, I think six times, which should be against the law to sue someone for custody six times. You would think a judge. So, because we had, I mean, so much lawyer, so much money in lawyers um, that we didn't have. They bankrupted us, you know, um, and the church was funding it all. So they had all the money in the world. Right. They, had, they were rich. They sold their church in California, you know, so that weird on us. And so we won every time. We even stopped getting a lawyer because it was the same judge. So we knew we just were like, hi. Hey, just Jennifer again. The same. <laughs> yeah, just Jennifer. <laughs> uh, where we lucked out is when they filed the custody complaint against us, they put the church as a reason. Otherwise, we could have never brought in the church and all the abuse. But they made... The first fucking thing was they removed these girls out of the church that they had been in their entire life. Thank you for letting us add all that to the discovery. Appreciate you. Yeah, I'm all thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Fucking thank you. And then I just started, started calling every person who had left disgruntled, started calling like everyone, started calling people I knew who had been abused. And one of the girls, uh, women, I hate I, working hard on that. Stop calling women girls. Um, she, all of our statutes of limitations had passed. I knew that, right? But I didn't care. I just wanted anybody who drew, who drove past exit 112 to know not to fucking stop because they're going to molest your child. Because it was still happening, you know, and they're not going to care. It's going to be hidden. So I just want the world to know. I, we're not going to win any money. Knew it wasn't going to be about money. But if we filed the lawsuits, the media would pick it up because it's going to be thrown out months and months and months and months. So all I need are lawsuits and to say, hey, look, we filed these lawsuits. And then and I went and I found four other women who would sue with me. And they just happened to be the granddaughters and nieces of the leader. Nice. Yeah. One point for just Jen and the home team. Just Jen. And then that, that paper I wrote, because I named everyone, because everyone was always scared to name people because of being sued and stuff, right? I, I was poor. What are you going to take from me? And everything was true. And it was true. Right. So I had no fear. I got, I got cease and desist up, uh, up the ass, and I just kept going. And the lawyer asked me, he's all, you got this. Why didn't you stop? The one on the other side I said, because it was true. Because it's the right thing. <laughs> right. And he's, and he's like, you have no proof of it. I'm all, really? I have letters from the man who abused the woman. 
and they're just like shit you know like it was crazy so that went on for six years and we were i was constantly on the news and i would go at the time i was a project manager for a telecom company and we had huge accounts you know just multi-million accounts we did hospitals we did everything and i would be there at, you know, in, in the boardroom going over our plans and all the stuff for this million, how we have to shut down their whole system at the hospital, all this stuff. And I could see people trying to figure out, cause my, no one has Jennifer Meyer beta. I'm the only Jennifer Meyer beta that exists. So if you hear the night before Jennifer Meyer beta, and then all of a sudden Jennifer Meyer fucking beta standing in front of you, and I would see them trying to figure out who I was. And then I could see the moment someone realized how they knew me. And then it would just, you just see like a, right, you know, and I was like, crap. So that's where Jenna came because I couldn't, I couldn't even have, if they saw my face, it could be like, she looks just like that person on the news. But they weren't positive, you know, like, because I would try to do look a little different. So that was hard for a long. That went on until 2012. And then they, and wow, but luckily that paper I wrote, someone had just happened to Google their abuser's name, Paul, Paul Mears, who was their grandfather. And they Googled his name and they found my paper. And they messaged the person and said, just tell her, I said, thank you. I had not seen this girl. She was a girl when I saw her um, since she was four. But I knew who she was and I knew what had been done to her. Um, but I never tried to reach out to her or anything like that because I didn't want to. It was so horrific what was done to her. I just didn't want to do that. I called her. She lives. She still lived in Northern California. My attorney that we were using through SNAP, Survivors Networks of Those Abused by Priests, that's who's the group that helped me, their lawyer was in Northern California. Their, my lawyer lived 20, his office was 20 minutes from her and she still had a week left before her her, the uh, statutory limitations ran out. Wow, nice. She ran into that office. They got it filed and she's a millionaire. Nice, good for her. So, and then they decided for whatever reason to try to just, you know, they need to discredit, right? So I get a phone call from the Associated Press and they were like, hey, we got this information about you and that you and your husband were arrested on charges of child abuse. The night before I was on the news saying, if a child says they were abused, believe them. I don't care, believe them. Because the chances that they're lying are small. I said, so believe them. So that was me, right? On Wednesday night, on Thursday, I'm being accused of child abuse. And I'm like, what the hell? They said we had been arrested. Like, it was so dumb. We had been arrested and charged. Do you know how easy that is to prove we weren't arrested and charged with shit? Right. Right. So they sent out whoever, their PR person that the cult hired, Christian Gospel Temple, hired and they're now they changed their name because when you googled their name i pop up you know so all this shit happened they ended up having because they lied about me because it wasn't just the ap everyone started calling me nbc msnbc like all because it was crazy it had reached you know like circus level at that point yeah anderson cooper had asked me to go on his show and then i found out they were trying to book karen Mm. and i was like nope 
this is not we are not jerry springer like this is not what i'm doing because it was his talk show right you know we went through all that lynette was able to go in and sue then i got the other the other two to go in and sue with me so we had this class thing action going but then we split off because she was the only one who had statutariat she was so cool to go but then they made the mistake of lying about me and because i then worked for snap them lying about me saying i was a child abuser when i wasn't actually could affect my job right because i'm so i was able to show damages right so i actually was able to sue them and they settled and they were like you know they were they were like um you know they wanted to silence me put a gag order i'm like uh fuck you i'm like i've told you guys there that will never happen you couldn't and they could have they could have offered me a billion dollars but said you can never speak of it. And I would have denied the billion dollars. And I know that sounds like I wouldn't have, but I really would have. Because I would, my voice, there's no amount of money on my voice. Right. You've been silenced for so long. I mean, your entire life. Well, they tried. But then they kept handing me a microphone. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really don't understand that. Because sometimes, though, I would get caught up in the spirit. You know, I did believe the crazy shit. I did fall on the floor speaking in tongues. I did do all of those things that were very, and that's what's so crazy. That's what mind, like how messed up mind control can be. I mean, I'm seven years old. I'm not fake. Like I'm, I didn't want to be speaking in tongues because I resented the fuck out of so much. I'd be sitting there in my head trying to think of bad things so that the Lord couldn't get in there. And then the next thing you know, I'm speaking in tongues under some pew. Like, it's crazy. I, I don't understand it. I, there's just some psychology in there, you know, because it was for sure. It was real. I just don't know what it was. I know what it was. And, and that was Jesus coming down through me, you know, the power of suggestion. But I don't know what it was. It's bizarre. And so because I had those experiences is what made it hard to detach from the doctrine. Right. Because they were real experiences and I, I i can't explain that so that took a long time to unwrap it's a huge dopamine rush and dopamine is a hell of a drug yeah especially for us adhd years right i mean we love our dopamine yeah oh yeah oh yeah we do and so after all of that it it destroyed my marriage we parted great friends at the time but i didn't have anything left I just didn't have anything left. And I, my spine between while this happened, because of the stress, my spine, my, my spine literally collapsed and I could not walk for two years. I've now had, I'd have to stop and think of how many surgeries I've now had. And it all started, it all happened when this case happened. Like it, I look like I've been in from the extreme stress. Yes. I look like I've been in a horrific car accident. Every time someone new sees my x-rays, they're like, oh my God, what what happened? And I'm like, a cult happened. <laughs> yeah, Karen happened. <laughs> Karen and Cornelius Mears and Carlos Cruz and Jonathan Linder. I could say this, it's all legal and been proven. So it is not allegedly. These are facts. Right. And then so, you know, I went through a lot. Everyone turned on me. You know, when the Dr. Ford, the Supreme Court judge, you know, um, what's his name? The horrible one that just got in that we fought who raped and abused all those people. Yeah. Watching that, that 
her having to go in front of Congress. I don't know if either one of you watched that. I did. Yeah. That is what I lived. But on a state level. And that, like, all those old fucking white men in their suits and white shirts, because you have to wear a white shirt, I lived that. And so... I went, you know, went through all of that. Websites were created about me. Like one just like listed all these things about me that they thought would shake. Because that's what cults do. They try to shame you to shut you up, right? Mm -hmm. You couldn't me. I will own every ugly thing I've ever done. So, but they, but most wouldn't, right? And I guess they thought I, they didn't know me well as they thought they did. So there was one website with just a list. I mean, there was just a huge ass list of everything they could think of about me. And they even wrote that I had had sex with 11 people. Well, they would know how many people I had had sex with is beyond me. But I went in there and I just did bullet point. Yep, that's true. Yep, that's true. It's kind of true. This is what the rest of it is. And when it came to the number that I had had sex with, I'm all, that is such a fucking lie. I'm so tired of them lying about me. I have had sex with way more than 11 people. So if you're going to talk about how many people I've had sex with, at least get the number right. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. When I said that, I think they all knew, it's not going to work. Yeah. And so they actually, it took a really, really, really long time, but they've basically now been bankrupt. They're, they had to sell the big church at exit 112 and build a small, tiny church on it. Almost everyone left because after everything I did, after everything I posted, after all this shit, they realized they were in a cult. And I just want to say all of their kids after us, right? They tried to say I was lying and that we were allowed to wear pants growing up. We were allowed to pierce our ears, which was so insane that they wouldn't even attempt to make that lie. So all of a sudden, everyone in our group cut their hair. All the women cut their hair. All the women put in earrings. All the women are wearing pants. They got kicked out of the main cult because they were going against the standards. So now they can't be in that. So they got kicked out. So then now they're this little island by themselves with everybody unraveling. And then it's like everything they believed is like, well, you just let us do everything we were told we couldn't do. So, and then I posted the um, transcripts of the deposition of the leader because right before it got sealed from my friend's case, the one that she had, I got it the day before it got sealed, before they gave her her million. So I published it and it proved to be the fucking liar. So no one in the cult would read it for years because they knew. They knew. I walked into a service after all this. They dared me to on a wet on a page, and they were like, (laughs) "You would never come in, but if you did, you would see how the work you've done has helped. We're finished. We don't need you anymore. You're the work. Blah blah blah. Like leave us alone. And if you came, you would see that, and we would welcome you anytime. Okay, let's see if you was. I walked in. It was a very pretty ballful. It was an interesting. The entire service stopped. I ended up talking. They ended up cutting the feed, the feed. And then the leader wasn't there that night. And the one who was in charge made the entire, entire cult stand up in unison and apologize to me. It was the most bizarre, strangest fucking thing ever. And then at the end, I just went, yeah, you can all keep your apologies. Like, no. And this was like, it was just crazy. But my mom was there. My sister was, sisters were there. Um, I didn't know really my other family because they weren't part of the cult. 
So at 36, I left, you know, I was done. The lawsuits were done. My marriage was over. I'm moving to Indiana, back to Indiana again, see if it could work this second time and be as far away from these people. And that's when I met him. That concludes the first half of Jenna's story. Tune in next week to hear her talk about him. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it so much. If you want to support our show further, you can share our podcast with your friends, follow us on our socials at Pod, or sign up for our Patreon to help keep the show going with a donation. Or you can become a patron for exclusive access to bonus content and interact with us and other loyal listeners on our feed. Meanwhile, if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. If you didn't, no worries. Move on about your day. If you want to share your story on our show, please visit our website at ngcompod.com to fill out the contact us form. Thanks again for listening.